Brick Moon Fiction presents Blue and Black by Lauren A. Forey, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. The chants could be heard five blocks from the stadium, the words indistinguishable but their intent clear. Four blocks away, tailgaters could be found pitching their grills in the side streets and parking lots. Eight hours remained until kickoff, but this was as close as these latecomers would get. Three blocks away, the crowds thickened. Students and alumni draped in blue and black held aloft plastic cups of beer as men and women in papier-mâché bare heads led a repeating chorus of East's school song like a Saturday church service. The crowd thrummed, the anticipation an electric current as strong as an addict's high, fueled by the clear blue autumn sky and the absolute certainty that today they would win. Today they would beat South, 25 years of history be damned, because today they had Bortz, and Bortz would not fail them. They wouldn't allow it. The Bear Claw logo on her black baseball cap provided Everly safe passage through the congestion. For extra insurance, she wore her Bear's Letterman jacket, despite how much it made her sweat. With both hands clasped to the top strap of the Bear's gym bag draped over her shoulder, she eluded high fives with pretty smiles. One block away, the fences came into view, separating the blue and black from the visiting orange and gold. Police on foot and horseback monitored the perimeter, providing safe escort to the South students and alumni who dared show their school colors. Everly watched the thin stream of South supporters trickle past, beer and curses pelting them through the fence. Distracted, she let her bag smack into the arm of a 250-pound bear, spilling his beer. I am so sorry. He looked at her hat, her jacket, her breasts, and his glazed face broke into a wide smile. Roar, bears, roar, he screamed. Roar, bears, roar, she replied. The man beat his chest and howled. Everly departed with a wave, then weaved through the thinner crowds at the back of the stadium as the cry spread outward like ripples on a pond. At the employee entrance, Everly hid her surprise at the anonymous guard in black holding an AK-47, who stood next to the regular game-day security guard. Hey, Carl, she said and started to pass through. The armed guard stopped her. Everything okay? She directed her question at Carl. Oh, fine, just... The armed guard cleared his throat. We just got to check all the bags today. Yeah, sure, no problem. She set her gym bag on a wooden folding table stamped Property of East. The armed guard unzipped it and rooted through her bottles of Gatorade, ace bandages, and white jacket. Carl asked if he could borrow a Gatorade, but was interrupted by a scream. An orange and gold tiger had leapt the fence. A sleuth of bears forced him to his knees, their blue and black coats forming a rippling mass through which patches of orange could be glimpsed. Only the young man's voice escaped the circle. Chris, come on, dude, it's me, Garrett. We went to high school together. Tuesday tacos? Spitballs at Mrs. Dunleavy? The poor freshman, Everly thought as the circle tightened, their knuckles cracking. Everly's eyes met the armed guards. Kid's own fault. He should have known to stay on his side of the fence. They knew that. He nodded towards the staff entrance, and Everly zipped up her bag and continued into the bowels of the stadium, because even though she was a doctor, there was nothing she could do to help him. She was dressed in blue and black. Six weeks prior. She was told she had no choice. It had to be done. Everly looked him straight in the eye and point-blank told him, I don't think I'm capable of that. 
South's new head coach rolled his eyes. You realize you don't have a choice, right? She picked at the chip in her coffee mug. The other tables in the roadside diner were empty, but still he sighed for dramatic effect, a little boy whose tantrum went unnoticed. He rubbed a hand through his crew cut. Look, you want to blame someone. Blame Bortz. He would have signed with us. I wouldn't be here, and you wouldn't have to deal with any of this. But Anderson had to swoop in and steal him when the pen was right there, hovering over the dotted line. His empty hand quivered, thumb and forefinger pinched around an invisible pen. Then take it out on Anderson. I can't get to Anderson, but I can get to Bortz, and I can get to Bortz because I can get to you, he pointed. I'm nothing, Troy. You're the team doctor. A glorified athletic assistant? You're a plant. He leaned over the table, his breath hot on her face. Our plant. He plopped back in his seat and pulled a piece of paper from his pocket, made a big show of unfolding it and sliding it across the table. It trailed through a line of maple syrup. In case you forgot. These are just copies, obviously, but now that Coach Jernigan is out, I've got access to your full digital file, all your transcripts. And I can do what I like with them. A primal urge to defend herself rose like the hairs on the back of a cat's neck, but she pinched her lips shut. Jernigan was happy as a clam with the bits of information you slid us over the years, but that's because he lacked courage. His fear of action let the program grow stagnant. But I'm not going to wait for things to happen, Tiger. I'm going to make things happen. Everly said nothing. And if you decide you're not going to help us out, these might find their way into Anderson's computer. I wonder what that'll do for his paranoia. The guy he caught from TBU has what? One good leg left now? Or maybe he'd just arrange a public stoning like he did for that chick from HC. Didn't you meet her once? He took the transcript back, folded it up without noticing the maple syrup. She hoped it would stain his athletic jacket. He probably wouldn't notice. So if you want to keep this between us, then you'll handle it. Won't you? She kept her eyes fixed on the table. Hey, chin up. He threw down a handful of dollar bills. You look prettier when you smile. The door chimed as he left. Everly watched him spit on the sidewalk and hop into his truck. As he drove off, she gathered each dollar, flattened them on the table, and tore them in half. So what do you think, Dr. Glover? Dr. Glover? Everly remembered the young man on the examination table beside her. Oh, sorry, Colton. Your MRI shows a mild strain, but it's nothing to be concerned about. We'll make sure to tape your ankle up real good, just in case. Colton ran his hands over his short hair, then shook his head like a dog. You scared me there, Dr. Glover. You were so quiet, I thought you were about to tell me something serious. Not this time. Colton took another glance at the MRI, but was distracted by a sudden burst of laughter from the hall. Everly flicked off the monitor as two offensive linemen appeared in the doorway. Hey, Forts, there you are, man. Coach is looking for you. Hey, Doc, said the other. You're looking mighty fine today. Thank you, Thomas. You hear the news, Bortz? Fans have caught three tigers out of bounds already. Two more and they match your lucky number, said Thomas. I'm hoping for 62, said the other. When are they going to catch my number? Give them time. It's early yet. 
I might catch a few myself. Tell Coach I'll be right there, Colton interrupted. I just have to finish with Dr. Glover. The linemen waved goodbye, their voices continuing to echo down the hall, talking about skinning tigers. Well, we're all done here, Everly said, if you want to go see what Coach wants, unless you needed something else. She waited for Colton to leave, wanted to get on with the rest of her day, wanted to spend at least five minutes not thinking about star quarterback Colton Bortz, but Colton didn't budge from his spot on the examination table, swung his legs back and forth like a kid on the playground, looking much younger than his twenty-one years. Did you need something else? What do you think about college sports, Dr. Glover? I think it's a fine pathway for young men and women to follow in order to get an education alongside a professional sports career and help secure financial futures for themselves and their families. She rattled off the stock phrase with nary a stutter. Yeah, but what do you really think? I'm paid too much to tell you that, Colton. She tried to make it sound like a joke. It didn't. He looked like he was about to say more, but a knock interrupted them. Bortz, you were supposed to be in my office five minutes ago. Coach Anderson stood in the doorway, his skin already mottled red from anger. That plus his blue and black polo shirt made him look like a walking bruise. Sorry, Coach. Colton slipped off the examination table as Coach Anderson took a not-so-cursory glance around Everly's office. Just get moving, he said, his eyes searching the corners. See you, Dr. Glover. I hope not, Everly rose from her stool. Everything okay, Anderson? Huh? I heard rumors. Private schools again? Never mind. He rubbed her arm, then gave her a pat on her ass. It's nothing for you to worry that gorgeous head about. Bort's A-OK -okay to start? Healthy, wealthy, and wise. She escorted him back to the door. Just how I like him, he winked. Some of the scouts are here today. We need him on his A-game. You know where to find me if he isn't. Without waiting for a reply, she shut the door. After double-checking the lock, she pulled a bottle of water from the mini-fridge where she'd stocked the Gatorade and took a long sip. Spilled water dotted her white coat. With a shaking hand, she switched the computer monitor back on and picked at the bottle's plastic label. Even with his keen vision, Colton hadn't noticed that the name on the edge of the MRI wasn't his own. Six years ago, she was told she had no choice. It had to be done. Everly looked him straight in the eye and told him, They're going to kill me. Don't be ridiculous. No one's going to kill you. Coach Jernigan sighed. Tell that to the strength training intern at North. She crossed her arms, embarrassed to be pouting but unable to stop. North's a different animal. They've got to deal with those nutsos at TBU across the state line. This is East we're talking about here. They get themselves in a tizzy whenever a student gets a paper cut. They're soft, said the assistant coach from the back of the small cinder block office leaning in the corner so he could get a better look at her ass, she knew. His neat crew cut contrasted with the ketchup stain on his jacket. Worst they could do is kick you out. Not their new coach, that Anderson. He'd have me arrested at the very least. Both coaches laughed. No one gets arrested for this stuff, said Jernigan. FBI might give you a little rap on the knuckles, send you back to us, where we'll take care of you. You do this, South will set you up for life. 
How do you think Troy there got to be assistant coach? Everly looked at her hands, dry and cracked from the weather. I don't want to be a coach. The assistant coach laughed, but was shushed by a look from Jernigan. Everyone has an inside guy now. It's the only way to get a leg up. Hell, I even heard private schools are getting in on the action. Sending people into state colleges to cherry-pick the best and funnel them straight to the pros for a fee. Cheaper than developing their own athletics programs, snorted the assistant coach. Damn right. And the only way our little school will get noticed is if we're churning out top guys. Team owners are wetting themselves over East's QB production. Guys like Otaviani, Weisenhaus, our guys, are barely getting a look. Don't you want them to have careers beyond state college? Be successful. Help their families get out of the... Am I still allowed to say ghettos? Low-income areas, answered the assistant coach. Yeah, that. Going professional is their only chance for that. There are the European leagues. The assistant coach laughed. See? <laughs> this is why she's perfect. East will love a pretty girl with a sense of humor. Coach folded his hands in prayer. Do it for us, Everly. Do it for the Tigers. The crowd's roar first alerted her that something had gone wrong. This was not the angry shriek of the other team scoring or a bad call. It was a primal, deep-throated bellow of war that shook the stadium like an earthquake. From inside the bathroom stall, Everly placed her hand on the wall behind her and felt it trembling. Bears were storming the field. She zipped up her jeans and ran out of the bathroom to her office a few feet away. Hands grabbed her and yanked her inside. Cleats kicked the door shut. She screamed around the bare hand that held her mouth, but her attacker didn't let go until she elbowed him in the gut. Hey, hey, we don't want to hurt you. A player in orange and gold, the number 20 on his jersey, blocked the door. He was tall but not big. A cornerback, probably. We just need to hide, said another. Everly whipped around to see another tiger behind her wearing the number 32, a helmet at his feet. He balanced himself against the examination table, unable to place any weight on his right leg. A knee, Everly's brain, triaging on instinct. You're going to let us stay here until it's safe, okay? Said number 20. He was older than his teammate, maybe a fifth-year senior. You can't. We go outside, they'll kill us. Number 32 groaned. I gotta sit, man. He'd lost color. Sweat dotted his skin. Here, Everly pulled out her desk chair and helped 32 ease into it. He looked around the office. The suture tray, first aid kits, medical diagrams. As if seeing it for the first time. You, the doctor? Depends on the day. What's happening out there? They're revolting, man. Number 20 paced, banging his arms against his sides. It's me. It's my fault. I tackled Bortz, the injured 32 winced. He was running for the first down. That makes him fair game. Calm down, said Everly. Was it a clean hit? Neither player answered. How did you tackle him? Did you go for his head? Helmet to helmet? Number 20 scoffed and waved her off. I tried to go for his legs, said 32, like they taught us. I don't know where I got him, but he went down. Hard, like Coach Troy wanted. When the play ended, I hopped up. Even offered him a hand, show there were no hard feelings. But he wouldn't get up. By the time his trainers came over, the bears were already on us, said Twenty. 
Players started throwing punches and got everyone to come out of the stands after us. If they find us... They can't, Everly said. They can't find you here. She hesitated, then opened the mini-fridge and grabbed two Gatorades. Where's the rest of your team? Twenty took two more gulps. I don't know, he gasped, wiping blue Gatorade off his chin. We scattered. It's Lawrence they want, so I... She held up her hands. Don't tell me your names. Did you see what happened to Bortz? Both shook their heads. Outside the walls, the noise continued to escalate. Number 32 finally drank, while 20 looked at the ceiling as if waiting for it to cave in. I was supposed to be drafted next year, he said. Someone pounded on Everly's door. She pressed a finger to her lips, encouraging the two tigers to stay quiet. Who is it? God damn it, Doc! Open the door! We got Bortz out here! She motioned the two tigers towards the lockers. Thirty-two was slow to move. Prove it! She made noise, pretending to move furniture like she'd barricaded herself in to cover the sound of the tigers hiding. Just open the door! When she did, Coach Anderson and two of the trainers carried an unconscious Colton into the room. He... I'll deal with it, she waved them off. Now get out of my office. We're not leaving him. Anderson crossed his arms. He needs room to breathe, not a bunch of sweating gorillas clogging up his air. She helped Colton sit on the examination table. It's a war zone out there. Spare me, Joe. You've got a panic room in your office. I'm not leaving him. Anderson crossed his arms. Fine. Just you. Not them. She waited. Anderson nodded to the trainers. The noise amplified as they opened the door, then became muffled again as it shut behind them. Here, she grabbed a Gatorade from the fridge and tossed it to him. You look like you're about to have a heart attack. As Anderson drank, Everly examined Colton's head and ankle in silence, pretending the screams around them were rain off a rooftop. Colton's eyes fluttered open, but when he focused on Everly, he shrunk away from her. Anderson hopped off the chair. Bortz, what is it? Lie back, Everly said. You. She said my ankle was fine. Why would you say it was fine? I knew it wasn't fine. Everly couldn't move. Anderson grabbed her and shoved her into her desk, the sharp edge cutting into her skin. His wide hand bruised her skin. Why'd you give him the all-clear if he wasn't all-clear, Doc? He... Been lots of rumors going round about an East spy. Someone out to get my guys. He grabbed the bandage shears from her desk. If I cut you, Dr. Glover, what color would you bleed? Blue and black or orange and gold? A bang sounded from inside the closed locker. The two tigers tumbled out. Well, that answers that. He drew back his arm. Tiger number 32 dropped like a stone, foaming at the mouth. Number 20, realizing what was happening, lunged for them with his last coordinated movement, but fell short. Anderson looked at the two half-drunk Gatorade bottles on her desk, the one he'd left on the suture tray, and the two young men writhing on the floor. His hand shook as he started to choke. The bandage shears dropped to the floor, followed by his body. Everly scooped them up. I bleed red, Joe. She turned to Colton, unable to hear the men dying over the stadium noise. Sixteen years ago.
she was told she had no choice. It had to be done. Everly looked them straight in the eye and point-blank told them, I'm not the right person for this. Don't sell yourself short, kid. Your age? Your test scores? They'll eat it right up. The woman in the crisp suit handed Everly a glass of wine, which Everly sipped and pretended to enjoy. Because of your unique background, said the other one, the man, VP of something or other, you'll fit right in. You mean because I'm out of state? That and you're poor. The woman spoke with the air of someone who thought her matter-of-factness would be appreciated. She crossed her legs and leaned back in the leather recliner, swirling the red wine in her glass. Plus, you're a pretty girl. Men are dicks when it comes to pretty girls. They'll underestimate you, let you get away with anything. The man leaned forward and folded his hands. This is how the game works, Everly. We've been doing it for years. The privates slip one of their own into the state system as a student, you go through their ranks, then get employed after graduation, and give us the inside track on their athletes. Make a few modifications as needed. The woman poured herself another glass and refilled Everly's without asking. The state schools are too busy fighting each other to pay attention to what's happening. She turned to the VP. Did you hear about the East-South fight? Twenty-two students sent to the hospital. One's in a coma. Might not make it. She smiled as she said it. Maybe if they paid a little more attention to their academics. They laughed at the inside joke. Everly waited for them to finish, then politely cleared her throat. But I don't want to go to East. Or South. I want to go here. That's why I applied. That's why you accepted me. The two looked at each other and laughed. You got accepted for this, kid, said the woman. What? You thought you got in on academic merit? With your parents' income? The man shrugged. If you don't want to do it, tell us. But just so you know, the woman smiled, the state schools take loyalty very seriously. It's life or death for them. But they mean that fairly metaphorically, added the man. We take it a little more literally. See, for us, it's business. A good business. And now you know what that business is. If you don't accept the offer... We may have to rescind yours. Permanently. Everly took a cocktail napkin to dry the wine that had spilled on her hand and tore it into tiny strips that fell to her feet. Colton looked from the dead men to the door as Everly wheeled her rolling stool up to the examination table. Realizing she still held the bandage shears, she excused herself and returned them to the medical kit. Sorry about that, Colton. Don't worry, though. You're safe here. You... Are you a tiger or a bear? It's not as black and white, or should I say blue and black, as that. I work for a group who likes you and has had their eye on you since you were in middle school. A group that also knew South was unhappy with you signing with East and had planned some dirty, possibly career-ending hits today. But this group doesn't want you to develop CTE. They'd rather you had a long, productive, professional career. Don't worry about the ankle. It'll heal. I knew only a few plays would be enough to wear it out before they could land a serious knock. I made sure of it. I didn't expect this, though. She looked up at the ceiling, listening to the crowd. Kind of changed the game plan. Guess we'll have to speed up your draft. What do you say, Colton? Ready to finish college early? Start your career? 
His eyes trailed from the numbers on the ground to Coach Anderson's still body. You killed them. Colton, let's talk about choices and how you don't have one. The building shook from the battle above. Everly picked up one of the Gatorade bottles from the floor, tearing the label into tiny pieces as she spoke. Lauren A. Forey, a frequent contributor to Brick Moon Fiction, was brought up in the woods of Bucks County, Pennsylvania, where her FBI agent father and book-loving mother raised her on a diet of the X-Files and R.L. Stein. She earned her MFA in creative writing from Kingston University in London and was awarded the Faber and Faber Creative Writing M.A. Prize for her first horror novel, The Compulsion. Her debut novel, Abigail Hall, a psychological thriller, is available from Black and White Publishing. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.